Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Wow. He is an amazing God. An amazing God. Exodus chapter 12 tonight. The Lord's Passover. An amazing God and an amazing chapter in the Bible. The Lord's Passover. I want to direct your attention to that phrase twice used in this chapter. At the end of verse 11, you'll see the words, the Lord's Passover. And then in verse 27, you see it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Notice in verse 1 that the Lord institutes this ritual while the people are still in Egypt. You see that there in verse 1. They have not been delivered quite yet. And yet God is speaking to Moses and Aaron and saying, I need you to hear me here. Once you are delivered, I want to burn something into the collective consciousness of Israel. I want the acts, the displays of my power and glory to be forever remembered. I want them to be marked. I want them to be celebrated. God's acts are to transcend time and space. They are never to be a one and done and that's it with God. God wants to create a group of people that forever never get over him and what he's done. And that we continually celebrate who he is and what he has done in our lives over and over and over again. And that we work to keep it fresh, to keep it meaningful and keep it moving. Because just like anything that is done continually, it can become so familiar that it loses something. And, and certainly there is a freshness that God wants to bring into his church and into our lives, but there are also sort of traditions, if you will, that God wanted to build into his people and say, I want you to do that perpetually. I never want you to stop doing it, just like we celebrated the Lord's table on Sunday. And I want you to keep doing it until I come to get you. And I don't want it to become routine. I don't want it to become too familiar and, and, and blasé and all that. I want it to be very moving and meaningful every time you do it. Because I want you to remember me and what it is that you have in me. And that's what Exodus chapter 12 is all about. That even before God delivers his people, he is laying down in a sense, the institution of Passover. And he wants it 
to be marked forever in Israel. So notice, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be your beginning of months. It will be your first month of the year. Notice that God now is instituting a calendar for his people. It's a new beginning. Days and weeks and months and years will have meaning to them now because there's going to be things that they do in relationship with their God and with each other that will mark a new beginning, a fresh start. You see, while they were in Egypt for 430 years, they were slaves. There was nothing to celebrate. There was nothing to mark. It was drudgery every day. It was go out every day and make bricks and and build Egyptian temples and all of this. And and there there was hopelessness and there was despair and and there was discouragement and, and there was nothing about their lives that they could care less what day it was. All the days seemed alike to them. There was nothing more special about one day than there was another day. They were all days of drudgery and slavery. But now, with deliverance, comes a fresh start and a new beginning and new meaning to things. And hopefully that's happened in our lives when we came to the Lord, that built into our salvation was a new beginning, a fresh start, which can obviously happen anytime with our God, and that, that things have now new meaning. Think about Christmas. Think about Thanksgiving. Think about maybe how you celebrated those before you were a Christian and how differently you celebrate things like Thanksgiving and Christmas after. That's what God is trying to get for his people to see that things now will have greater meaning to you, the things that I'm going to build into your calendar. By the way, for us to have some kind of context, this would have correlated or does correlate to our March-April, okay? Our March-April is this month here, okay? So sort of around what we would call Easter time, usually springtime, That is the first month on the Israelite calendar, if you will. Then notice verse 3. Tell the whole community, the whole congregation, to assemble together by God's appointment in the 10th day of this month. God is a personal God. And God works with us individually and personally, but God also has a very specific plan and purpose for why he also calls his people to come together corporately and in community. Because there are things, very specific and very significant things, that God wants to do and will do in community that he won't do anywhere else. That's why he always, Old and New Testament, calls his people not just to relate to him individually and personally, but also 
within a community of believers on a regular basis. Notice this phrase several other times in the passage. If you go down to verse 6, you must care for it until the 14th day of this month, and then the whole community of Israel, the congregation acting in concert, will kill the Passover lamb around Sunday. Notice, it's to be all done together. Sort of like when we pass out the elements of communion. We take them all together as one. And if you go over to verse 47, notice God reemphasizes this. The whole community of Israel must observe it. Everybody, everybody, together. God has something for his people personally, but God also has something for his people in community. And if we're not willing to be part of that community and be faithful to that community, we miss out. We miss out. That's why it grieves me when I hear Christians today and have said for several years, oh, I don't need to be part of a church or, you know, I don't, I don't need to do life with other Christians. I, I can just worship God on my own. Yes, you can to a point, but just like God says in his word, yes, I can relate to you personally, but I also need to have you be part of the community, a corporate body, because I'm going to do things for you in and through that community that I won't do any other way. So you're going to miss out if you're not part of the community. Then if you go back to verse 3, at Passover, the focus is on the lamb. Don't miss that. Because you can't help but study and read Exodus chapter 12 and not think of the ultimate lamb. The one that these lambs would be picturing for us. Notice, each must take a lamb, according to their families, a lamb for each household. If any household is too small for a lamb, then the man and his next-door neighbor are to take a lamb. In other words, God will make sure that everybody's covered by a lamb. He will provide. You will make your count for the lamb. You notice how many times the word lamb is used? According to how much each one can eat. Verse 5, your lamb must be perfect without defect, healthy and sound. A male, one year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You must care for it, watch over it until the 14th day of this month, and then the whole community of Israel will kill it around sundown. Offer it as a sacrifice. Because again, as I've shared for the last couple of weeks, God wanted to build into his people's mindset the idea that their life comes from death. Life comes from death. Well, let's stop for a moment. It's a good place to pause and be reminded of our lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul calls Christ our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. 
John the Baptist looked one day and pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Peter says, We were not redeemed from our old life with things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot and without blemish. We have a lamb. We have one who died so that we could live. We should forever and every day praise God for our lamb who laid down his life for us. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. It shows what kind of love Jesus has for each of us. That I truly believe if we were the only human being on earth, Jesus would have left heaven, would have come to die for you and for me. He loves us that much. Verse 7, they will take some of the blood, the life blood, because as the Bible teaches, the life is in the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or cancellation of sin. Leviticus 17, 11. They will take some of the blood and put it, apply it on the two side posts and the top of the door frame of the houses where they will eat it. They will eat the meat the same night. They will eat it roasted over the fire with bread made without yeast. Why? Because there's no time for the bread to rise. Do not eat it raw or boiled in water because it is all to be kept together not to be separated, roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and entrails. And you must leave nothing, no leftovers, until morning. You must burn with fire whatever remains until morning. Why? Because they're getting ready to go. This is how you are to eat it. Dress to travel. Be ready to go when it's time to go. Sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. You are to eat it in haste, meaning in anticipation and expectation of the deliverance that God has promised. It is the Lord's Passover, his exemption, his acquittal. See, God is also saying, when I move, I move. And when this happens, you're going to be thrust out of Egypt. So you got to be ready to go. God always wants his people not only to celebrate him and what he has done so that we could have life from his death, but always to live in anticipation and expectation of him and what he's getting ready to do. Because we never know when that's going to happen. We can't always see it coming. Jesus talks over and over during his earthly ministry about being watchful and being ready. He gave a parable of those who kept their lamps burning, but some did not. He always wants his people to live with an alertness, anticipating and expecting God to do something 
and, and looking for it. Because I'm immersing myself in the Christmas story that I'm going to be sharing in a couple weeks, I, I can't help but bring up young Mary. That, that day that Gabriel appeared to her, she had no clue. It was just like any other day in her life. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes an angel crashing into her life, giving her, she, she had no idea that was coming. It's the way God is many times. Sometimes we can see something, but most of the time, God just moves and we're like, whoa, I didn't see that happening. I didn't see God moving me in that way. God sometimes comes way out of left field and out of the blue because that's how God works sometimes. But he wants us to be ready, living in anticipation and expectation that things like that could happen at any time. And he wants us, in a sense, to live on the edge of our seat with him. Not in anxiety, but in anticipation of, oh, I can't wait to see what God does next. Because I know my God, he's always up to something. That's what he wanted to instill in his people even here. Then verse 12, I will pass or literally march through the land of Egypt in the same night. I will attack all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both humans and animals, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute my judgment or my sentence. I am the Lord, Jehovah God. Now, don't miss this. Verse 13, very important. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, a mark of assurance. When they applied the blood, they were placing themselves under God's protection. And then please notice the next phrase. So that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It was on the basis of the blood alone that God would pass. I see the blood. I pass over. Now, I want to go back to something we referred to earlier. God said, you are to have this lamb. You are to eat it. You are to slay it. And you are to take that blood and you are to put it around your doors. Folks, if they did not apply it, it doesn't matter whether they had the lamb. It doesn't matter whether they ate the lamb. It doesn't even matter if they sacrificed the lamb. If they didn't apply the blood to their own house, then God would not pass over. You see, we need to be reminded of that. And I just don't want to even assume that everybody who's listening to me tonight or who's here tonight has personally applied that blood of Jesus to their life. You may know about Jesus. You may have heard about Jesus. You may like him. You may admire him, respect him, 
all these different, you may be in church learning about him. But if you've never personally applied the blood, you may go out into eternity without Christ. Because it's only when we personally apply the blood are we saved. That we personally invite Jesus into our heart to be our Savior. No one else can do that for us. We must each make that choice and determination in our life. The application was absolutely essential to God passing over. When I see the blood, by the way, that meant, and we're going to see this a little bit later on, that meant that there were some Egyptians who came to faith in Jehovah who applied blood to their houses. And that also meant that there were some Israelites who lacked faith and who didn't apply the blood to their household. See, God is no respecter of persons. The only basis for being passed over was the application of the blood around the door to say we're covered. I will pass over you. And this plague will not fall on you to destroy you when I attack the land of Egypt. Verse 13. Now let's think about this for a moment in light of us. If Jesus is our Passover and we have applied his sacrifice and his blood to our life, then let's be reminded about what that means. That means that Anytime you and I think about our salvation, there should be a moment of worship there. And realize that every time we sin, every time, in thought, word, and deed, every time we sin, when God looks at us as a believer in Jesus Christ, he doesn't see us. He sees the blood of his own son that's been applied to our life, and he passes over. We never have to eternally pay for any sin and every sin that we'll ever do because Jesus' blood covers us and God's judgment passes over us. Therefore, every time we sin and we ask God and we confess it and ask for God's forgiveness of it, we should also have a moment of saying, God, I worship you because I realize, God, that you pass over this sin because of the blood of your son that's been applied to our life. That's how practical and relevant even this Old Testament chapter is to us today. So God says in verse 14, this day will become a memorial, a day of remembrance for you. You will celebrate, eat, sing, and dance. It is going to be a festival to the Lord. You will celebrate it perpetually as a lasting ordinance, as a continuous custom 
every year. Because why shouldn't the Israelites celebrate Passover? Why shouldn't we celebrate our Passover lamb? Why shouldn't we eat, sing, and dance and praise the Lord and exalt him and magnify him? Because we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He not only takes away our sin, he gives us his righteousness that we never deserve. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Are we celebrating our Passover and our Passover lamb? Notice verse 16. Back to the idea of community and corporate worship. On the first day, there will be a holy convocation, a sacred worship assembly. God is calling his people. I want you to come together and I want you to worship me on the first day. Oh, not over there. Then on the seventh day, there will be another sacred worship assembly for you. You must do no work of any kind on them, only what every person will eat. That alone may be prepared for you. I want it set apart. You celebrate your Passover. Because everything you will have as a nation and a people is based on the fact that I delivered you and I saved you and I passed over you instead of judging you. And the same thing is true for us as New Testament Christians. Everything we are, everything we have is because God sent his Passover lamb to die in our place. And everything we will ever experience and ever enjoy throughout eternity is all because of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Verse 17, you will keep the feast of unleavened bread. Observe it, celebrate it, because on this very day I brought your regiments out from the land of Egypt, and so you must keep the day perpetually as a lasting ordinance. Again, remember, God wants to burn into the collective consciousness of his people his acts so that they never forget who they are, where they came from, and what God did for them. And, and one of the reasons predominantly why is God wants to, to be reminded of how much he loves them. Because the whole reason God did this for Israel and did this through his son Jesus Christ for us is out of his great love for us. We're celebrating his love. We are loved. We are loved. Notice verse 25. Notice the first word is when, not if. <laughs> God can guarantee what's going to happen because it's him. So God even here says, not if, but when you enter the land that the Lord will give to you, just as he said, you must observe this ceremony. And notice then verse 26, not if, but when your children ask you, 
Again, part of the reason for the continual celebration of God in our lives on a regular basis is not only so that we personally begin to appreciate and adore our God for who he is and what he's done, but it is also an opportunity for us to witness to those around us, whether they be children or family members or other people around us. It is a way for us to worship God and to witness for God. In a sense, as we've talked about, and Nicole and I have shared this over the years, worshiping and witnessing are sort of one of the same. We all witness of our God when we're worshiping him. And notice, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Oh. Guys and gals, this service that you're doing. Hey, every year, you can see this little, little kid, right? Little, ch- little child coming up to his mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad, every year we take this lamb. We, what do we do this for? But I love the fact that here, God is saying that the child will ask the parent, what does it mean to you? You see, in a sense, what that means is, does it have personal meaning or am I just going through the motions? Is this just something that, well, we do it because this is what we do and it was passed down from our family and that certainly happens or does it have meaning? And you see, when, when God has meaning in our life, when he's moved in our life, when, when he's made a difference in our life and it's truly affected us, he's affected us, my goodness, you can't help but say, I'm so glad I get the opportunity to tell you what God and what this means to me. It's personal. Because it's not just God saved us, God saved me. This is what God has done for me. And children need to see that. And others need to see that. Friends and family need to see that. Other Christians need to see that. What does it mean to me? Has it affected me? Do I have any kind of emotional response to it at all? Any kind of physical response? Any kind of spiritual response to it all? Has what God has done for me moving me in any way? Then you will say, verse 27, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. When he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, when he struck Egypt and delivered our households, and notice the response of the people. They bowed down low to the ground. And then they went away and did exactly everything that the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. They prostrated themselves before the Lord in worship. They were overcome and overwhelmed by the fact that God, their God, would deliver them in such a way. One more thing I want to talk about. Notice over in verse 40 through 42. The length of time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on the very day 
that it was 430 years, all the regiments of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. God had it down to a very day. That should give us great comfort and encouragement. As, as I said last week, God's sovereign. He's in control. Everything is running on his timetable. He's not up there wringing his hands and things here on earth and in the universe somehow aren't, aren't running. It's down to the very second. And just like in our lives, when God moves, he will move. And things can change in one second on God's timetable. God has specific days, weeks, months, years, which is why he instituted a calendar. He has even specific seconds that something's going to happen or change in our lives or in the life of this world. Nothing catches God by surprise. But then don't miss verse 42. It was a night of vigil for the Lord. The word vigil in the Hebrew means watching. Remember that verse that we read earlier where God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. God was watching. He was watching. Not only as to who would apply the blood, but he was watching over his people at all times, which is why one of the other reasons, besides reminding them of how great a deliverance they had and how much God loved them, he wanted them to keep the Passover so that they would always remember that their God always watches over them. To bring them out from the land of Egypt. So notice then. So on this night, all Israel is to, you know what? Keep their eyes <laughs> their attention on the Lord for generations to come. Isn't that great? Every time Passover is celebrated, it is to be a reminder, God, you're watching us at all times, and God, guess what? We're watching you too. We're keeping our eyes on you. We're keeping our focus on you. You've got our attention, God. That's one of the things we try to do here on Wednesdays and on Sundays at the Oasis. It's a time for us to come together as God's people and be reminded God is watching us. He's watching over us. And therefore, God, we're going to give you our attention. We're going to keep our eyes on you like you keep them on us. And to illustrate that, and hopefully to send you home with even a little bit more encouragement, I want to end tonight by taking you to Psalm 121. Would you turn there with me? I believe that this psalm in many ways was inspired by this truth that God watches over his people continually. Psalm 121. I look up toward the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. May he not allow your foot to slip. May your protector not sleep. Oh, look, Israel's protector does not sleep nor slumber. He always has his eyes upon us. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. 
The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect you in all you do now and forevermore. He's watching, my friends. He's forever watching over you. Father, I thank you tonight that you have met with us. And Lord, I pray tonight through our worship time and through our time together and through our time in the Word that God, all of us have been reminded of what an amazing God you are. What you have done that should be celebrated forevermore. And what we get to look forward to as your people, all because of you. Thank you for our Passover lamb. The perfect, sinless son of God. Who took our place who was slain so that we could have life, who gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. God, I pray that we would never get over our Passover lamb and our Passover, that every time we fail and we sin, we can be reminded that you don't see us in our sin. You see the blood of your son, Jesus, and you pass over. Lord, may we appreciate our salvation, maybe more than we ever have. And even more than that, may we appreciate our Savior who gave us that salvation as a free gift if we would only trust and believe in him. Thank you, God. Thank you for this wonderful time tonight. Would you take us home? And Lord, awaken us tomorrow. Lord, in expectation and anticipation of what tomorrow could hold for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless. We'll see you next week.